Hi, I'm Stuart from Fulham, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, lizard people, do they run the world? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my co-host and producer friend Howard Cohen, aka the Hizzo. Hello! Pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Stuart from Fulham's question, lizard people, do they run the world? Uh, Dane? You could you feel free to go first, Howard. I have thoughts on this, but I, I think the, I think the answer is pretty much pretty much no, Stuart. Um, thanks for coming to the show with that question, but um, uh, I don't believe there are lizard people, as far as I'm aware, Dane. Yeah, I, I, I think literally, I, I'm not sure if there'll be lizard people. However, the, there's a part of the human brain which is referred to as the lizard brain, which only is about the uh, about self-preservation and uh, self-gratification. And I think there are many people who are considered leaders in the world who are only concerned with their own self-preservation at the expense of others. So if you're speaking metaphorically, Stuart, then yes, literally, maybe not so. Um, even though a lot of people do tend to be very cold-blooded in our society, so I get where you're coming from, Stu. Yeah, well, listen, thanks for, thanks for coming, Stu. And uh, so I say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely, no question is too big, too small, too smart, too dumb, or too cold-blooded. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from, and you'll never miss an episode. And it would be wonderful if you could also check us out on Patreon and support the podcast by subscribing for additional content and for us to pay our bills and keep this podcast going, where you can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a rights of nature and climate activist. He is the founder of Lawyers for Nature, a collective of lawyers that come together to work on behalf of nature and for the backing of all things ecological. He has also founded the River Roading Trust, which aims to protect, restore and enhance London's third biggest river for the benefit of wildlife and local people. He also recently showed up Nigel Farage on GB News, which is not a hard thing to do, but proves that he is doing not just God's work, but the work of all virtue and righteousness. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Powsland. Hello, good to be here. So Paul, first of all, um, obviously you've had a lot of legal exchanges at the very higher echelons of society. Any lizard people, any people that flick their tongues in a weird way when they're in the dock? No, but I think that question itself is really interesting. And I find those kinds of conspiracy theories fascinating because they're obviously nonsense. But the the most serious and massive conspiracy theory um, that has ever existed in human history is right before our eyes, and yet people don't seem to care about it, which is the climate crisis, right? Um, a group of rich people are literally about to make vast areas of the world uninhabitable and kill at minimum tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions and possibly billions of people um, in pursuit of private profit. It's the most serious crisis and indeed the biggest crime in human history. And yet people have to go around scratching around for nonsense conspiracy theories when that's right in front of their faces. And I think there's it's quite an interesting human uh, human need there, isn't there, to, to go after things which um, are that they know that they found the secret of rather than the obvious one that's staring them right in the face yeah it's a good point i suppose it's also that when you create a enemy 
which uh, defies logic and is, I guess, quasi-supernatural, it's much easier for you to be like, well, there's nothing we can do about that because they're shape-shifting lizards. Where if you say to somebody, reduce uh, fossil fuel outputs by companies, it's like, ah, but I like having a nice car, though. So... I mean, yeah, yeah it's a, it's very interesting human. Practice. Yeah, it's, it's 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 this human need to like um easily divide people up into the good and the bad. Although that is still very possible, you know. Obviously, we are all in some ways responsible for the climate crisis, but some of us are more responsible than others. And if you yes, need, um, if if if, <laughs> if you need if you need a kind of enemy that you can put into the bad camp quite easily, I feel like fossil fuel executives and those supporting directly supporting put in that category not quite the same as lizard people but not far off in terms of uh in terms of what they're doing and the consequences for for all of us well if there are any lizard people out there uh feel free to write into the show we'd love to hear from you uh come on the show uh stay put your side across uh but but if you are but if you are trans reptilian and you identify as a lizard then that's okay i'm not sure if that's been a recognized group just yet but if that is your truth and that allows you to uh, thrive within your uh, life experience, that's fine too, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll work on it. Well, it's time for a question, Dane, as the format of this show dictates. Absolutely, Paul. As our very uh, esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which could be any question you'd like, which we'd like to discuss for about 15 minutes. And then uh, Howard, my co-host, would like to pose a question to you to discuss for the same amount of time. And then keeping up with tradition and the rule of three in comedy, I have a question I'd like to pose to you as well to discuss for about the same amount of time. And then we'd love for you to tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out about your good works and also how they can be involved in your activism in terms of the protection of the environment, past, present and future. How does that sound? That sounds good. Great. Cool. The floor is yours to ask the first question. So the question I'd like to ask is, uh, should nature have legal rights and standing? now paul i i I know who you are we introduced you there's some of the listeners who are going to be hearing about you and your work for the first time i think this is a good time for you to explain your situation because i've i i found you uh, on social media and i found you a fascinating individual give us give us the download on, on on what you're up to paul yeah so in my day job i'm a barrister Um, And about five or six years ago, I started representing groups trying to protect and save rivers and trees and other parts of nature. And I quickly realised that our current system of environmental laws are just not fit for purpose. And uh, under the current system, we'll constantly be fighting battles and often losing them to save bits of nature. And the problem is, is that our legal system does not actually recognize nature itself as having legal standing um, and ability to properly interact within our legal system. Now, legal standing sounds like a kind of scary concept, uh, but basically what it means is that you're considered a sort of a a legal person within our system. Mm -hmm. And legal personhood, it's easy to understand if you think of human beings, you know, if if someone uh, breaks a contract with you or drives into you, you can sue them in our courts. You have legal standing to bring a claim within our courts. That makes sense. A lot of people would be like, well, how can a tree or a river sue someone? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But we have to remember that in our system, there are already lots of non-humans who have legal personhood. Exactly, like banks or record labels or pharmaceutical companies. And all of these people can reimagine themselves as legal persons. 
any any company and remember we, we get so used to the idea of companies that we think they just have always existed but they're literally an entirely fictional legal mechanism that we invented in the mid 19th century before then there was no such thing and in fact they don't actually exist tesco is entirely a legal fiction thames water which we'll probably discuss more during this uh, podcast is is a legal fiction it's not actually a thing it's just a name that we've invented for that for that legal fiction and they're not all evil. Other um, legal persons include charities. Um, so, you know, um, any charity is, again, just a legal fiction that we created um, to give them standing within our legal system. So I'm basically saying that we should extend that concept to nature and that unless and until we do so, the destruction of the natural world, which we all rely on, will continue and indeed get worse. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful it's a powerful cause, Paul. And I mean, what Dame was saying there, how have we ended up in a scenario where that isn't this? You know, this isn't the case. Like, I think one of the when I was hearing you talk, one of the first things that came to my mind, Dame, was the amount of shit that is pouring into the seas uh, day after day, which has has been quite a noticeable story that I think people are kind of constantly outraged at. But does the sea have rights? Well, it it should do, <laughs> yeah, it should do. <laughs> and indeed, and, and 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 indeed, rivers should do. And the why question is really interesting. Um, I I would say that our current legal framework, or rather, who or what isn't is and isn't recognised as a legal person within that legal framework, um, is an extension of our economic and political system. And for the last couple of hundred years, we've had a system that prioritises economic growth, and the the, the 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 stealing the taking from nature the privatizing of that and the use of that in economic growth and that's that's why companies were invented because they are incredible it's it's supercharging economic growth um and the and people are sociopathic growth... enough to decide that things that are naturally produced like water or in form of rain or from the sea uh, are things that should be uh commodified and that's probably where the problem began in the first place is that even though we are taught one of the most primary physical laws is that energy can't be created or destroyed, that we uh, charge people for it. And now we live in a world where people have become uh, so, uh, people's view of the world has become so distorted. People think that uh, water and electricity, for example, or even wind are things that should be commodified and sold back to people, even though it's ubiquitous everywhere. But people believe that the people telling them this on the news are doing it from a natural source. So people have the idea that water should be prioritised, but the news is a natural resource that is just disseminated um, equally amongst people on television. And that's probably how we've... Uh, one of the worst things that's come out of the uh, imagining of corporations as legal fictions. It's also probably a very good uh, way of uh, avoiding uh, legal accountability as well, I imagine, because... If um, you're responsible for like the BP oil spill, then, you know, maybe shareholders may have to pay a fine. But it's like if you poison people who live in a house and you're an individual and you poison someone's water supply in the house, you'd go to prison for murder. Whereas if you poison the entire ecosystem, if you could hide behind a legal fiction, then no one's accountable. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what limited liability in companies does. It allows them to avoid their responsibilities. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that companies are necessarily 
all bad or were all bad as as a solution to a problem that existed a couple of hundred years ago, which was how do we um, get a basic level of development um, to enable everyone to live, um, you know, comfortable, secure lives. That was probably not necessarily a bad idea, having companies, but they are, I would say now, out of control and also not a solution to the problem we currently have, because the current problem we have is not lack of economic development. It's lack of economic development that is in line with the capacity of Earth systems. And it is going to be the collapse of all of our all of our Earth systems that is going to be the problem, we, the main problem we face over the next hundred years. And so having out of control companies, but no rights for nature is only going to exacerbate that. An example of Thames Waters is a really good one of a late capitalist company um, that has gone seriously, seriously wrong. Thames Water was uh, privatised in 1989. So the company is uh, just over 30 years old. And when it was privatised, all debts were written off. And since then, it has given uh, billions of pounds in shareholder dividends, loaded the company in billions of pounds of debt, and not invested in the infrastructure it needs to stop committing criminal offences of putting sewage into our rivers and seas. It is, I think, one of the prime examples of corporate looting that we've seen in this country. And I think that's going to become clear as the company potentially collapses over the coming weeks and months under the weight of its own debt. And what is what is so fascinating about the Thames Water example is to compare that to the river roading, right? So mm. the river roading has flowed. Thames Water is less than 30 years old. It's, it's younger than me. The river roading has flowed on its course for 11,000 years since before humans came to these islands. It is a physical thing which actually hundreds of thousands of people rely on for life from its waters, right? And unlike Thames Water, the river roading cannot sue when someone infringes its rights. So Thames Water has been putting putting sewage into the river illegally. I've caught them at it repeatedly. And yet no prosecutions have been brought because the river itself can't bring those prosecutions. And the agency which is supposed to act on behalf of the river, the environment agency, is asleep at the wheel and isn't doing its job properly. And so we have a, a fly by night company like Thames Water that is able to make huge sums of money by repeatedly committing criminal offences against the river and having absolutely no redress for that. It is, I think, the starkest example of why granting such massive rights and standing to companies, but not to nature, can go hugely wrong. With that being said, Paul, currently, is there any way of uh, a human rights abuse uh, case being brought against a company like Thames Water until uh, legislation can be adjusted in order to create legal fictions for, uh, I suppose, natural phenomena and uh, parts of nature? Because obviously, if you're throwing, if you're tipping raw sewage into water, there's going to be an inevitable danger to human life. Can that be the springboard that can allow for more legislation in order for there to be a legal representation of nature? Well, so, some people do use human rights, like right to a healthy environment, to try and bring claims for nature. I mean, the, the thing is, is that actually um, there are potentially already ways that cases could be brought for illegal sewage bills. But the problem is, you know, who, who's going to bring them? And who's, who's funded to bring them? You know, on the River Roading, our group, the River Roading Trust, is, is, is made up of volunteers. We're doing what we can in our spare time to try and protect the river. You know, I'm sort of doing meetings at, around my job to try and beg and cajole Thames Water, a multi-billion pound uh, company that's owned by shareholders all over the world, to try and not pollute my river. 
and there are there are cases that could be brought and I'm, I'm looking into bringing one at the moment to try and um, prosecute them for a sewage spill but it's very difficult to do that when you don't have the resources and the time because nature is is not is not given legal personhood and all, all, all of the value that it brings to our society is stolen and made private you know thames water gets huge value from the river by taking water from it and putting um wastewater whether treated or untreated back into it it doesn't pay for that mm. and if even a fraction of the services that the river provides were paid for it could have a whole team of dozens of people to bring legal cases to look out for its interests but as it is it's forced to rely on volunteers acting in their spare time because all the value that it provides is simply stolen and privatized it really, it's really disturbing to hear it, and for me it's like hearing how capitalist pursuits pose a literal danger to human life and how few people know about the implications of their actions i think is for lack of a better term it's really quite chilling and quite scary to hear um is there a line or trajectory that exists that would allow for you to uh, uh, even or any kind of precedent that would exist that would allow for the uh, legalizing of uh, nature or rivers or even forests? Because obviously this is not something that's just happening in the UK alone. This is another issue which happens on a global scale where companies or countries that may be based in like the g7 for example will still be able to profit from you know countries which may be engaged in like a uh, large-scale conflict and are able to use that as a veil to uh, extract resources there as well i just finished reading the book yeah. uh very bad people we was talking about how like you know um countries like sierra leone and uh cambodia who have been had places of civil conflict um had a lot of their uh timber and their diamonds being uh, looted from these countries on behalf of larger Northern Hemisphere corporations, which I argue now probably have a lot more power, both uh, legally and, uh, I suppose, judicially than actual countries do. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess... There, there, it, yeah. there, there, are, there are rights of nature, more and more rights of nature um, interventions around the world, ranging from constitutional interventions like in Ecuador, where they've made rights of nature part of their constitution, um, and where that provision has actually, for instance, stopped oil uh, drilling in the Los Cedros Forest, part of the Amazon, which is amazing. Um, and there's some which are like uh, legislative interventions, like the Wanganui River in New Zealand, which was given um, self-ownership and a guardianship body um, because local uh, Maori tribes insisted on their sacred river being given rights. And the New Zealand example is interesting because it's a very New Zealand has a very similar legal system to ours. So we know it's legally possible. It's just politically difficult in this country because we are in many ways the kind of ground zero belly of the beast for um, expropriating nature. Now, and, I've, uh, I've, I've held back, because Dane's asked you some excellent questions, Paul, to get kind of under the, the surface of, of what we're talking about here. And, um, you know, as listeners, probably you know, regular listeners would know, my wife is a big environmental uh, kind of uh, person working in sustainable retail um and um you know i'm aware that you are literally one man paul uh, uh and you're you have been brought to this show by the fact that you you know you appeared in my timeline on social media um to kind of uh, for, because you were talking to Nigel Farage, as we mentioned at the top of the show on GB News, I wouldn't say you you kind of tore him apart, but you 
he he didn't stand a chance against you, Paul, uh, as, as as most people who watch that clip would agree. So my my question today is, what role does the media have to play in supporting the causes that not just you are, are, are fronting, the, the, the causes that we should all be kind of behind? Because that 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 section of you on GB News, I think, did some good. Did you, would you agree with that or not? Uh, it's all hard to say, isn't it? I mean, the, the nature of the climate crisis means we're never going to have a definitive uh, win. There's never any moment where we've succeeded um, and you never really know what the outcome of your um, actions are. Um, that's one of the big um, basic facts of the coming decades and indeed century of, of what's going to happen to us and our society. However, I, I do really think it's important for um, people to kind of cross the cross the Rubicon and, and head to the other side and speak to people who don't necessarily agree with them um, because there is obviously this 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 great siloization of social media where we only listen to and speak to people who already agree with us which is a bit a bit pointless which is why I went on um, the show uh, with Farage even though I obviously vehemently disagree with almost everything he says um, and actually it was in many ways it was uh, it was easier than normal because he just said such um obvious nonsense and platitudes that it was actually easier to argue against than people Paul, who... Paul, just to say, you can say, you can say fucking stupid on this podcast in case you're... <laughs> so I feel like you're trying to, you're, you're using, you're trying to avoid profane language and describing, you can say that he's an utter fuckwit on this podcast because that's what we believe. Yeah, feel free, um, I, feel free. I, no, and I, I, I actually really won't. I, I really believe in, no, I, I really believe in the value of not resorting to insults in these things and you can really criticize someone's arguments but i do believe there is a need to retain um at least some sense of civility in these things so i won't and that's very very deliberate though i'm not i'm not i'm not calling him that and i'll, I'll, I'll say his arguments are nonsense and, and they largely were mm. but actually that allows me to then go on his show and as, as you saw in that clip somewhat demolish them mm. i also i think the other thing that's really interesting about like that clip is taking him on on his own terms and i think that's often quite important i i really want to get away from these kind of culture wars way that a lot of these debates are framed so which is often right-wing people basically entirely stealing inhabiting the ideas of patriotism and love for your country and it's often seen as a kind of quite a dirty concept amongst progressives and people on the left. But actually, I think many left wing concepts can actually come be brought into that framework of love for country. Well, because the country and is made up of the ground and the <laughs> the trees and the plant. That, that's a pretty big fucking part of the country. Yeah, exactly. And and also people, you know, I think I think actually left wing people show a deep love for their country because they they want everyone who is in this country to um you know have a home, have food, have education, all of those things. So when 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 people say when people like Farage or Rhys Mogg or any any part of the Tory government say, Oh, I love my country, the first response to that should be what do you mean by your country because you don't you don't love these lands like the rivers that have existed here since before humans even came to these islands that they, they have a better claim i would say to be this country than almost anything else you don't love them because you allow your mates to pour shit into them for money 
Mm. And and if, if by if by this country you mean our trees, you don't love them because you allow developers to chop them down left, right, and centre to make money. Um, if if by this country you, you you don't mean its people because you're willing to literally let people the the people of these islands starve to death or freeze to death in their homes because you want you want to make money. Paul, so I actually, just a lot to, of I just want to interject there because I feel I, I definitely see where you're coming from, and I do uh, also see the point of humanizing uh, your discursive opponents when you're having discussions about the climate crisis, and also trying to find some intersectionality in terms of care for your immediate environment. But is it possible maybe that they just don't give a fuck and they just care about money? I think that maybe that's because I guess you're. Uh, engaging in discourse with the supposition that you can find some mutual ground that if these people are true patriots they obviously want the ours itself as a landmass at the very least to be inhabitable for people that also uh, align with their values but is it not possible maybe that these are just short-sighted sociopathic grifters who only have the one uh, belief in capital gain and basically are prepared to plunder and watch the uh, country go to ruin just for the sake of being able for them to have another place in the south of France. Is that something you may have considered as well in this discourse? Because for me, it's like Brexit, what, Brexit, for example, is something that is also divisive on bipartisan lines. And one of the reasons that companies like Thames Water are allowed to do their practices is because EU regulations are no longer something that bound them to at least try to masquerade as ecologically conscious. So is it, and someone like Nigel Farage, he encouraged that to take place. So do you think sometimes maybe you're, bar- you're, you're, you're maybe screaming at a, a brick wall because these guys will do and say anything for money? Because now if the water is becoming more and more undrinkable, what's happening around the same time that Nigel Farage is starting to sell his own brand of gin. And one of the reasons that gin became popular in the UK is because it was safer to drink than the water supply. I think this, that's, that's exactly the point that I'm making is that not, not all of them, but a lot of them are what I would call false patriots. They yeah. are using the language of love for your land, love for your country, which is, I think, quite a strong human emotion that most humans feel. And they are effectively using that to cloak their true purpose, which is to basically loot this country and take as much money for themselves and their mate slash social echelon as possible but they, to, to do that they they are using that idea of patriotism this false idea of patriotism and we need to call them out on it we need to call them out by saying actually you say you love this country but you allow it to to, to just be destroyed and looted you you're you're that's not true you don't actually you don't actually love this country and actually those 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 who um pay their taxes here those who spend their um, lives caring and helping others who live here or trying to protect the nature that inhabits these islands actually truly love their country you're just a bunch of looters dressing yourself up as patriots and i think it's so interesting because there has been causes in human history where what what you know maybe they weren't known as celebrities at the time but you know famous people got together to help raise awareness for, for for things and this scenario that's currently going on i know you you know you can see some efforts being made i've noticed a lot of um billy eilish uh who i don't uh listen to a lot of her music but uh she's been trying to do quite a lot of climate change based work which you know is is is, is something but it just seems across the board for all the people who you know live 
in the world of media that they should all be it should just, it should be absolutely dominating the agenda shouldn't it because all of the other things you're discussing are just not going to exist if we carry on this way i mean yes <laughs> <laughs> uh yes um yeah i mean I, I do think there's also a need though to to maybe humanize the climate change debate because it can it can feel very abstract sometimes talking about statistics um and things that are happening elsewhere in the world and actually making it um localizing it and talking about the impact on people here i think can potentially get through to people um maybe in a way that statistics can't um but yeah i i don't entirely know what the solution is when the greatest crisis in human history is happening but like not only not only yeah. is the media not discussing it, they're demonising those who are trying to bring attention to it. But like, I'll give you an example, right? And and and, and we can we're not going to go into the, the the detail of this thing. But like, when George Floyd was murdered, it it was encouraging to see the response from a lot of people in positions of prominence in the media. That fair fair description. I'm not suggesting it solved anything, right? But it was encouraging to see the response of the football world just as one example but the idea and i'm not suggesting that's a very important matter but i'm going to suggest the climate change trumps everything really because if the world ends whatever other conversations we're having about people's rights variety of other economic social problems they're not going to matter because there's not going to be a way any place to live on this planet so so I can't see how that isn't at the top of everyone's agenda if you have a place in the public eye. It, 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 the idea that the money that runs our world has a greater place of importance than that is fucking stupid. Like, I don't care how smart or whatever academic achievements you might have that suggest that you have an understanding about something that I don't. The idea, you know, it's like you live in a house. We all live in a, we all live somewhere, right? If it was falling apart, you would fix it. You would look after it before it needed fixing. So how do people not treat the planet the same way? <laughs> the yeah, silence. It's, 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 yeah, I know. It's, 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 really, it's a really good question. I think the last few hundred years have disconnected people so much from the systems that sustain them that they don't even really appreciate those systems anymore and to understand that we are completely we're intimately connected with the earth and completely dependent on it and the things that come from it um and so we've allowed ourselves to yeah pe people switch on a tap the water magically appears they don't actually have to know about drought. Been massively responsible for that uh separation and gulf that continues to be perpetuated between humanity and nature and this is evidenced by the fact that if you look at the uh during the uh covid pandemic the countries which had the largest incidences of uh deaths from covid or i suppose underlying health conditions were also the countries that have profited the most from capitalism or the most from uh, resource exploitation so you know brazil had one of the highest death rates you know where the amazon is being uh was being burned down wholesale by its uh, former president in the same way America had one of the highest death rates because they uh, require the exploitation of resources, including human beings as a resource as well. And then also in the UK, where it was insisted that people still left their homes and exposed themselves to the virus in order to keep that uh, capitalist machine from going. So 
is that uh, part of the conversations, Paul? Or do you find that people will immediately call you a communist or a socialist and disregard what well, you're saying? I would say capitalism is is the kind of pinnacle or, or our kind of capitalist system is, is the pinnacle of expropriation from the natural world and separation from the natural world. But I, I don't think it's fair to say it's only that, you know, um, communist and indeed socialist countries have been as if not sometimes more so disconnected from the natural mm-hmm. world and the things the things that we rely on for it. Um, and I, I believe it's that separation and disconnection that is the most important issue that we face. Um, and I'd also go, go back to, to, to what you said earlier about, um, you know, people not know about the climate crisis. The climate crisis is a symptom, the most serious one by a long way, but it's nonetheless still a symptom of the underlying crisis, which is ultimately separation from the earth, from the natural world and regarding it as a dead resource to be exploited for human ends. That, that is the ultimate crisis. And even if we solved the climate crisis tomorrow, our civilization would be in deep, deep trouble from all of the other crises that we face, from the soils crisis to the nutrients crisis to the oceans crisis, the plastics, the waste, uh, all of the many, many crises. And, you know, you, I almost learn a new one every day on Twitter that we, we're not even aware of. You know, we, we are in deep, deep trouble because of that underlying disconnection. And well, I, I guess the, the other thing to, to make it all into less of a doom laden scenario, um, the, the only good thing is that actually that as well as the, the the basis of the crises being interconnected, the solutions are also interconnected. So the things that help us overcome drought are also the same things that will help us overcome nutrient runoff and indeed will sequester carbon to, to um, resolve, help resolve the climate crisis. So for instance, on the roading, um, we've got many bare fields in the upper catchment, which um, uh, when it rains, the uh, the soil and the rain just rushes straight off into the river and pollutes the river and also means that there's more likely to be floods and droughts. So by planting forests in the upper catchment, we would slow, we would stop flooding, we would store water so the river wouldn't dr- go into drought so easily, we'd stop soil and nutrient runoff and we'd sequester carbon. And for almost all of the different solutions we can see to the, to, um, the climate crisis, they will have other benefits for the other crises as well. Dane, it's going to be time to move on to your question, buddy. But uh, I mean, I could talk about what we've been talking about for ages. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess my statement was kind of helping to lead my question because when there are discussions about uh, uh, ecological exploitation or extrapolation, it's normally like for capitalist gain. But obviously you've highlighted that uh, even communist powers can also be equally disconnected from nature and uh, guilty of the same thing. So I guess my question is, uh is there because economic growth is normally the justification for all of these uh these uh destructive practices is there in your opinion an economic system which can take into account ecological conservation or environmental protection that could work uh towards beginning to repair the damage done by uh environmental exploitation uh there, big question. There isn't one silver bullet solution. If we do this one thing, it will solve yeah. everything. Well, if I say money, if um, money wasn't an object, uh, maybe phrase it a bit because that's actually quite daunting. I, I think that's quite fair to say. But uh, if money wasn't an object, are there are there practices that we could begin globally that would begin to remedy? Because obviously, I know you don't want to be a doomsayer. So let's say that money wasn't an object, and we could begin the process of practically, or you know, 
have an executive executive practices to begin repairing the environment? What do you think would be the things we should prioritize the most as a nation and also as a planet? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different ones. We probably need to, as I said right at the start, start addressing the underlying issues rather than so the underlying causes rather than just the symptoms of ecological degradation so one of the underlying causes is as you noted this obsession with gdp um which means constantly doubling um our the size of our economy but obviously our economy is uh, our our existence is based on a finite planet we can it's literally impossible to keep on doubling to infinity Um, because elon musk is trying to go to mars and i'm like why are we trying to go to another planet if we can't even work out how to take care of this one yeah so we we need to have a way of measuring the success of our economy and our system that properly takes into account um natural the natural world and the degradation of natural resources um i would say as well we need to give rights to nature so that nature's voice can be properly heard within our political legal and economic system so when thames water wants to do something it has to take into account the rights of the river when doing that that would go a long way to stopping some of the degradation that we see um and I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin on the policy interventions and into into the climate crisis. I, I would say, as well as having the natural world represented, we need to have um, people around the world represented, because obviously our decisions that we take in this country will affect people in other parts of the world. But also, crucially, we need to have people from different times represented, because our decisions we take right now are going to affect people way into the future. So we need to have we need to have people from the future represented in our decision making. That that's a very interesting question. How how we how we bring future generations, what is generally termed seventh generation thinking, into our uh, into our political, legal, and economic systems, which are currently inc- incredibly short term based. Well, vote, voter restrictions seems to be fighting against that, and it's, there seems to be a, a drive from our government to remove that power from. Uh, successive uh, generations or uh, upcoming generations because I think the general consensus of most uh, most younger people is that the environment must be protected and they're obviously very vocal and also very active in movements such as Just Stop Oil but you can see this yeah. at the same time the government is trying to restrict their voting rights and uh, you know trying to increase voting ages so yeah. Is 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 I'm not I'm not saying any of these things are realistic. <laughs> you asked me what, what, what uh, the idea that's fine, but at the same time, <laughs> you don't have to be realistic when we're talking about it because a lot of people's platitudes towards climate change and denying climate issues is also unrealistic. So don't worry about that, Paul. Because <laughs> <laughs> some people are like, it's gonna be I mean, fine. Yeah, I mean, and we people... can see it's not fine. So don't worry about realism right now. I would I would actually I much guess, rather hear from you what, 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 what's what, gonna happen. What, what, what what I would say to listeners is you can start to reflect this in your own decision making, both in terms of how you vote, but also what economic and other choices you make is to start thinking about um, how will this choice I make affect other people around the world? How will it affect the natural world and how how will it affect future generations? And actually, is my, I don't know, short flight to wherever worth it for the death and destruction that it's going to bring upon people in the future is that a morally justifiable choice i think we can all start to bring that into our own thinking can i ask can i can i ask where 
and, and we're going to run out of time in a little bit, but can I ask where, where we think something like the Green Party sits with it, within what you're trying to, to achieve, what you're trying to do, Paul? Um, I mean, I'm a member of the Green Party. I think um, within the current political system, they are the only party that is um, even beginning to think about the issues that need to be thought about with with, with the requisite seriousness. Um, I'm actually involved trying to draft a, a draft bill of nature nature rights for them, which is which is interesting. Um, in many ways, I would say that the Green Party maybe doesn't go far enough in properly considering the root of the crises that we face and the seriousness of the actions we need to take but they are within the current system the best the best that we have um and you know the work of people like caroline lucas has been amazing you know she's been the only green mp in parliament just consistently raising these matters even though it's been i think very difficult to do so in the face of what is otherwise quite a lot of hostile reception from other politicians who are just completely not taking the seriousness of our current situation sorry the yeah not taking the current situation anywhere near as serious as seriously as they need to yeah um another point as well if 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 there was an instance whereby we could uh create legal fictions for the environment pool would this lead to some jail time for some of these polluters will they what they do be considered an act of uh aggression or G- aggravated GBH. assault yeah. or yeah or you know Oh yeah. Well, that's that's that, that's a very interesting point. Is you know, we, again, with companies, we we give them huge power. So Thames Water, if I if I go and um, lob um, some uh, a bucket of shit over their reception desk, I would go to I'd be find myself in you know a prison cell for that, or at least a police cell for a little while. Um, and depending on the seriousness of it, very possibly a prison cell. But Thames Water can throw vastly more into our rivers and the worst they get is a fine which they basically write off as a business expense and one of the reasons that the ongoing pollution of our rivers and seas is happening is because the company structure means that nobody goes to jail Hmm. and so there isn't a proper deterrent to stop them from doing things which which are illegal you know they are illegal and they're getting away with it and you know on the road and we have we have a sewage bill that's been going on for two years i've caught them red-handed it's completely illegal it's a criminal offense and yet they've done nothing to fix it and i've had so many meetings with them where i've said please can you fix this and they're like well you know it's quite expensive and difficult and we'll see what we can do if the if the chief exec of thames water was going to go to jail for that it would have been fixed within a month Simple. That'd be a good Simple. jail as well. Can't just be a minimum security. I think. I think these guys need to go to the Hague. And that's that's the, that's, that's 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 you know that's, we don't need to overegg it. Even just going to a normal jail uh, for a criminal offence. We need to overegg it because the eggs aren't even free range anymore, Paul. They need. To just... <laughs> we don't. You know, we don't. We don't need to overegg it. Just basic. And even 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 the knowledge that could happen would mean that they would take these things seriously. But at the moment, because they know there's no punishment, effectively, they're like, okay, we could spend a million quid fixing this problem, or we could just not fix it. Nothing will happen, and we can give that million quid to our shareholders. And so yeah, they choose the latter and, because until, it's until, they go, until they go broke, and then leave it for us to uh, nationalise the service which I'm not sure would make a difference to their current practices when it does eventually become nationalised. It's a, but the, the, w- Let's be honest, the, the only reasons that the Thames Water is in financial difficulties right now is because the ramping up campaign of the last couple of years, led by Fergal Sharkey, um, 
has basically made their previous position of not doing the infrastructure work they need to untenable. So basically, there's been a campaign to say you actually have to obey the law, shock horror. And now it's turning out that actually, if they have to obey the law, the entire financial basis of their company is is not is 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 not financially sound. <laughs> well, yeah. And if, they, if 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 they'd have been continued to allow to be allowed to disobey the law. They could have carried on indefinitely. Just break, keep breaking the law, keep committing criminal offences, keep bugging money to shareholders. Onwards they go. I think that's very um, interesting. I mean, interesting is a good word. I think it's a fucking travesty myself. I mean, if we were able to publicly reveal who was actually making money from Thames Waters practices, do you think that would make a difference? Um, well, we 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 already know that it's just people aren't responding to it enough. Um, we we already know who is making the money out of all of these things. You know. Um, there's that there's that quote: "The planet is not dying; it's being killed, and those who are killing it have names and addresses." We already know who's who's killing our rivers, who's killing our planet. Um, we just need better action against them. And just to be very clear, as a barrister, I'm not encouraging vigilante action or anything unlawful. But the state needs to properly prosecute those who are committing crimes against nature and the earth. And ordinary people need to start peacefully with you know protesting against those people who are doing that and that can range from you know protests um outside their head offices which is already happening by a lot of climate activists also to you know with you know boycotting and withdrawing of consent from these companies and those who run them um as a barrister what legal trouble would i be in if i said to them at the very least you have to drink this water in front of all uh, of us well, if it, just just asking them is not a criminal offence. Obviously, if if you force them to, it might be another matter. But yeah, I think it's I think it's a valid question to go to the head office of the bucket of the water that they're throwing into the river and say, you know, would you drink this? And if not, why not? I think that's a very valid question that you should be you are allowed to ask. <laughs> I think le legally, could, well, legally, could you be like if you are a shareholder or you are a uh, executive at Thames Water? Legally, all the water in your offices has to be Thames Water. I, I, I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to order that, unfortunately. Um, well, we're yeah. going to go down there after this show and see if we can <laughs> convince them. Um, but I, I think it's important to say to our listeners who've joined us today that this is the most important thing to talk about. And 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 I was so keen to get you on the show, Paul, and I'm so pleased you've come on. And I really, really hope that you know doing that bringing you to our platform does some good right dane it's all it's all that i know that we can do right i mean it's 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 great and uh paul must say it's definitely been a pleasure having you on and uh explain it to people can i make a final a final plea before yes. we go oh, we're, we're, in, we're, in, sorry in, paul in, we're gonna in, we're gonna get you to do a to do a plug for all, anything you want in just a I, second this, 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 this is not 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 a plug for organizations but a way of for listeners to approach the world which is you know, the earth is in trouble. It is the greatest crisis that we face. And we mustn't let other people, we mustn't expect other people to do that work for us. Everybody can step into the role of activism in whatever sphere they're doing. So for instance, I, I do climate activism within the barrister profession and also step into guardianship for nature. Nature desperately needs people to stand up for it and look after it. So for instance, on the river roading, I've no, no one's given me permission or indeed paid me, but to, 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 to be a guardian for the river. Everyone could find out where their local river or forest is and stand up and be a guardian for it. And I think that's very empowering. We're not waiting for other people to come and save things for us. We all must step forward and do that work. Yeah. 
Sorry, I just, I just want to get that in because I find it I find it very disempowering when we kind of you know here's an activist and here's what they're doing. It's like no, no, everybody can and indeed should do some form of activism or if not some form of, of guardianship. And it's also very fulfilling as well. It's a much better way to live, I find. Mm. There's, a, there's a great, great it's, it's a great cure for climate and ecological anxiety. I can assure you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's been great to have uh, Paul on the show, right, Dane? It's been good, but it's been very sobering and alarming. But obviously, we are aware that it's uh, the biggest, uh, yeah, it's the biggest danger that uh, humanity currently faces right now. And I feel like there is a, uh, we are on the cusp of a uh, impending dystopia if we don't address the issue as soon as possible, Paul. So thank you very much for raising awareness there. Um, for people that want to learn more in terms of their activism, how they can participate or how they can hold uh, corporations to account. Uh, where can I find out more about your good works, past, present and future, please? Uh, OK, so there's a few different websites. So I'm on Twitter at Paul Powson. That's Paul and then P-O-W-L-E-S-L-A-N-D. And the River Roading Trust is on there at River Roading. That's River and then R-O-D-I-N-G. There's the River Roading Trust's website, riverroadingtrust.org. And there's Lawyers for Nature website, lawyersfornature.com. Um and yeah, I would also say, you know, in addition to maybe looking into the organizations that I do, seriously consider stepping into that form of activism yourself. Um, find your river, find your local trees, or find your sphere of influence in relation to the climate, whether that's in your job or your social circle or wherever it may be. Try and get your your sphere of influence to to bring pressure to bear on it. We, we all we all in this time we all need to be activists and we all need to be guardians of nature thanks for coming on the show paul no worries it's a pleasure thank you you've been listening to dane baptiste questions everything hosted by dane baptiste and myself howard cohen for more from dane and myself make sure you follow us on instagram at dane snaptiste and at the howard cohen you can now support us on patreon just search dbqe podcast and unlock ad free content and you can watch the full length video of the podcast please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if you have a question for dane make sure you send us a dm on instagram at dbqe podcast and we could feature you in our next episode thanks for listening guys and remember question everything